Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Have you ever had a Jehovah's Witness at your door telling you that the doctrine of the Trinity, one God and three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the doctrine of the Trinity is of the devil, the word Trinity is nowhere in the Bible, it's a man-made doctrine that you must reject. Well, are they right? <laughs> well, they're right in this, that the word Trinity does not appear in the Bible. But I'm going to show you today the concept of the Trinity starts in the first paragraph of the Bible and goes throughout. So what we're going to do today is a little different. It's going to be a doctrinal sermon. Doctrine means teaching. Perhaps the most important teaching or doctrine of the Christian faith is the Trinity. And we're going to ask the question, is it taught by the Bible? Let's pray first. Father, we do pray now as we search the scriptures that you would reveal to us who you are, what is the truth about your nature. And God, bring us to accept that. If anybody here has a faulty view of who you are, use this half hour to enlighten and, and help. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, the first thing I want to say about the Trinity is that it is not a human invention because no human would dream it up. It's too mind-boggling. I mean, if your view of God makes perfect human sense, I'm going to be suspicious that some human, with their human sense, dreamed up the doctrine. But because the doctrine of the Trinity is so confusing and so beyond us, that helps me believe it's true. <laughs> Paul Little said, he who doubts the Trinity will lose his salvation. He who tries to understand the Trinity will lose his mind. <laughs> so let's do this for this program. Let's ask the question, is the Trinity biblical? Well, let me show you now how you can find the Trinity in the first paragraph of the Bible. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created, that's the Father, the heavens and the earth and the earth was without form and void, and the Spirit of God was moving over the face of the waters. There's the Holy Spirit. And God said, let there be light. And everything God created, He's spoken into existence, and we learn from John chapter 1 that the Word of God, the speaking of God, is Jesus. There's the first paragraph of the Bible teaching one God, three persons. Let's go to the New Testament. It's called the baptismal formula. In uh, Matthew, the end of the Matthew, the last thing Jesus says on earth, disciples, go ye therefore, baptizing them in the name singular of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You'd expect grammatically in the names plural, but that's not what Jesus said. He said the name singular of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, which teaches there's only one singular God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me give you the biblical definition of God. God is one being who exists in three eternal persons. 
There's only one God, God's one being, but in God are three persons, God the Father who made us, the Son who died for us, the Holy Spirit who lives inside of believers. Now the question is, where do we find that in the Bible, other than what I just said? Well, first thing to say is, the Bible teaches the Father is God. And nobody disagrees with that. This is something everybody has to admit that the Creator is called the Father in the Bible. We get that from Jesus in John chapter 6, John chapter 5. So that, that's pretty much given for anyone who believes in the Bible. But the second thing the Bible teaches, Jesus is God. The three main passages that teach that Jesus is God are easy to remember. John chapter 1, Colossians chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 1. Let me show you what the Bible teaches about who Jesus is. First, John chapter 1. If you read John chapter 1, the Bible in John 1 teaches that Jesus is the pre-existent Word of God, that He existed before all things. In John chapter 1, verse 1, it says Jesus is God. In uh, verse 3 in John chapter 1, it says Jesus is the agent of creation. He's the one through whom everything was created. And then it says in John chapter 1, the word God became flesh, that God became a human being. His name was Jesus. Then let's turn to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. It says that Jesus, again, is the agent of creation, the one through whom everything came about. It says in Colossians 1, Jesus is before all things. It says he's the sustainer of all things. And in Colossians chapter 1, get this, this is pretty clear. It says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Jesus. Then let's look at Hebrews chapter 1. It says that Jesus is the one through whom the world was created. It says Jesus has the very stamp of God's nature. It says that Jesus upholds the universe. And, get this, of the Son, He says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. In Hebrews chapter 1, you've got God the Father calling Jesus God. There are other verses that teach that Jesus is God. For instance, uh, Philippians chapter 2. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped and held on to, but he emptied himself, became a human being. What I bring up at the door when Jehovah's Witnesses show up is John chapter 20. Jesus rose from the dead. Thomas didn't believe it. Jesus pops up in the room and Thomas says to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And I point out to the Jehovah's Witnesses, Jesus doesn't say, whoops, Thomas, you made a mistake. I'm not God. He just accepts the worship and says, you should have believed it without seeing it. And then in John chapter 5, it says, the, the Jews were about to throw stones at Jesus because he being a man made himself equal to God. Now, if you believe that Jesus is God, what do you do with the problem passages? There are a few verses that you got to chew on to see what do we do with this. For instance, in John chapter 14, Jesus said, Disciples, I'm going to go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. 
Well, if Jesus and the Father are equally God, why does Jesus say that? Well, remember when he said it. Jesus said those words when he was in the incarnation, when he was the human being on earth. And so the Father is greater than I is, I think basically there's more to God than what you're seeing right here, disciples. Uh, here's another problem passage, 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul teaches that Jesus will return and all things will be subject to Jesus Christ. And then Jesus will become subject to God the Father, that God may be all in all. Well, if Jesus is equal to the God the Father, why is Jesus submitting himself to God the Father at the end of time? Well, this is called the economy of the Trinity. For instance, are men and women equally human? The answer is yes. Nevertheless, the Bible teaches the wife is supposed to submit to the husband. Not that they're any less human, but that's the way marriage works best. The, way, the economy of the Trinity, the way the Trinity works is the, the Father, uh, Son, and Holy Spirit are equally God, but the Son always submits himself to the Father. Another problem passage is from Colossians chapter 1, where it says that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. And I got into an argument with a Jehovah's Witness on this, and he said, see, Colossians 1.15, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. See, he's born. He's, he's not eternal. And I said, look at the context. Look at the very next verse. It, Jesus is the one through whom all things are created. And I said, if Jesus is the one through whom all things are created, what are you saying? He created himself? That makes no sense. Firstborn in the Old Testament means the son who is going to inherit everything. When it says Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, it means he's before all creation. He's going to inherit everything at the last day. It doesn't mean that he was born in a point in time. You know, this comes from the, the Nicene Creed from 325 AD says this, and this is, this is putting it all together. Jesus is begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Uh, he is, Jesus is very God of very God, true God of true God, begotten, not made. And then finally, the Bible teaches the Holy Spirit is God. Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe that either. But if you read Acts chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, John chapter 4, those verses teach that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, excuse me, is God. All right. Now, if you watch this show a lot, we talk about modern day heresies a lot on this show, the craziness going on in some of the mainline Protestant denominations. I'm a Protestant, it is grievous. But do you know that there's been heresy in the church ever since the beginning? Let me just bring up two ancient heresies. The first is called Sabellianism. Sibelius lived about 200 AD, and Sibelius taught that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three different temporary modes that God uh, assumes. Sometimes God will be the Father. Then maybe later in the day, he'll become God the Son. And then maybe later, he'll become the Holy Spirit. And the early church condemned that view because, no, God is always Father, Son, Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized in the water, the Holy Spirit came down as a dove. The Father talked from the cloud. All three persons of the Trinity show up at the same time at Christ's baptism. God is always Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you go to a, Pentecostal churches or, or, or Trinitarian and, and biblical, 
But if you go to a church called the United Pentecostal Church, I'd get out of that church. They're, they're Sabellians. They're modalists. But the bigger heresy was going to come a little later. Let me tell you the story of Arius versus Athanasius. Arius was born in northern Egypt in 250 AD. He was an archdeacon in the church of Egypt. He taught that Jesus is a creature. Jesus is not eternal. God the Father created Jesus. There's no eternal son. Only the Father is, is eternal. His doctrine spread throughout the church, and it split the church. So finally, in 325 AD, 318 bishops came together in a little town in what is now called Turkey, called Nicaea, and they were going to determine what to do about Arianism. Athanasius, the champion of the Trinity, the, of the eternal deity of Christ, said the biblical view. Uh, Arius had his point of view. They voted. 316 bishops sided with Athanasius and the Trinity, two with Arius. They came up with what's called the Nicene Creed that Christians have been reciting ever since 325 AD about the Holy Trinity. Arius and his two heretical bishop friends were condemned. doesn't mean they were killed. It means they were kicked out of the church. And, and they were banished by the emperor, I believe, to uh, Illyria. But the battle was far from over. After Nicaea, there was a reaction in favor of Arius. Uh, the emperor, uh, Constantine, called Arius back from exile. And this was a period of great excitement in the ancient church. In fact, one secular uh, historian back there called Marcellinus said, quote, the highways were covered with galloping bishops. <laughs> The Emperor Constantine tried to force Athanasius to take Arius back into the church. Athanasius refused, and uh, uh, one, one, uh, scholar, ancient, one church scholar said, Athanasius' resolute character, as well as his theology, was the outstanding obstacle to, to the triumph of Arianism in the ancient church. But the emperor was insistent. Athanasius you will take Arius back into the church. And, and uh, Athanasius was exiled. He spent 20 years in exile because of his belief in the Trinity. But the day before Athanasius was going to be forced on this, suddenly Arius died. Within a year, Constantine was dead. And the early church took that as a sign from God. And we have the doctrine of the Trinity. There's an old Latin phrase, Athanasius contra mundum, meaning Athanasius against the world. And because this man stood for the truth of Scripture, we have the Nicene Creed today. Because the Nicene Creed was bought with such blood, sweat, and tears, I want to just quote part of it to you. Here from 325 A.D., I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son, begotten of his Father before all worlds, Athanasius. Jesus is God of God, light of light, very God of very God. He's begotten, not made, Arius, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate, enfleshed, by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man. 
My main point in all this is to say, <laughs> make sure you go to church, be part of a Christian church, and make sure you go to a church that believes in the Trinity. Stay away from Jehovah's Witness, stay away from the Unitarians, stay away from the Mormons who believe in thousands of gods. I'd stay away from the Oneness Pentecostals, the United Pentecostal Church, not the Pentecostal Church, but the United Pentecostal Church uh, rejects the Trinity. And we'll have our questions in a minute. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, which churches do believe in the Trinity? Catholic Church, Lutheran Church, Methodist Church, Episcopal Church, Presbyterian Church, uh, all the uh, normal uh, denominations, the Orthodox Church, they all believe in the Trinity. Okay. So there you go. So which churches deny the Trinity or don't preach? Yep. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Unitarians, uh, the Mormons believe in thousands of gods, not in one God. So those are the churches I'd stay away from. And again, I'd stay away from the United Pentecostal Church. Again, that's not the Pentecostal Church. They believe in the Trinity. United Pentecostals are kind of Sabellianism. They believe that God appears sometimes as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It, it, and they also teach you have to speak in tongues to be saved. The Bible, we're saved by the cross of Christ, period, not by whether I speak in tongues. So those are the churches I'd stay away from. You know, we never used to have all the different types of churches. Mm -hmm. What prompted that, that it changed so yeah. much? I mean, you had basically five different religions, and that was it. Okay. And they weren't all called different churches. Yeah. Well, um, actually, the Protestant denomination started about 1500 or so with Martin Luther breaking away from Catholicism. And actually, he didn't break away. Some people, the Catholics will say, why didn't Luther stay in the Catholic Church and try to change from within? Well, he tried. He got excommunicated. The ban of the empire was put on him. Anybody that found him could kill him. So it's not like he jumped out of the Catholic Church. He was forced out. And then that started the Protestant Reformation, which eventually branched off into Presbyterianism and Methodism and uh, uh, the Episcopal Church in, in, in England. So that's how it started. Okay. And some of them have kind of gone off the deep end. Exactly. Too. Yeah. So if Jesus is God, who was he praying to in the garden? himself. Yeah, we've had people ask this question, you know, and 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 I get this from some I believe a person who's, who doesn't believe in the Trinity. Well, if Jesus is God, why is he praying to God in the garden? Is he talking to himself? Well, the answer is there are there's only one God, but in God are three distinct persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. So what you have in the Garden of Gethsemane is God the Son, Jesus, praying to God the Father. Well, how does that all work? I don't know. Again, the fact that it's so mind-boggling helps me believe it. It's beyond human comprehension. So. Okay. Well, then maybe you're not going to like my next all question right. is, did God the Father die on the cross then? He did not. Again, there are distinctions between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Only one God. Okay. But how this works, but Jackie, uh, a pastor at our church, Hope Lutheran Church that I served for many years, the, the other pastor one day prays, Oh God the Father, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. And after church, I took him aside and I said, You know, you're guilty of patripassionism. 
which is a, a term called the Father suffered. And I said to him, the Father did not suffer and die on the cross. The Son suffered and died on the cross. So you just, you know, the, I, I know this, and he's a solid Christian person, of course. But some of the stuff is hard to put your head around. What did he say when you uh, said he, that? He, he agreed. Okay. <laughs> I didn't have to wrestle him. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So which person of the Trinity should a person pray to then, I yeah. guess? I think, you know, uh, we get this question a lot too. Well, I think you pray to God the Father, and then you close your prayer in Jesus' name. So normally you pray to the Father. Can you pray directly to Jesus? Yes, you can. In the New Testament, there are places where they pray directly to Jesus after he had ascended into heaven. I believe you can pray directly to the Holy Spirit. But again, the norm is you pray to God the Father and you close your prayer in Jesus' name. Okay. And people need, what does Jesus' name mean? Yeah. It means God do this because of him, not because I deserve it, but because of the merits of Christ, please answer this prayer. Well, God did a lot for us. Mm -hmm in giving us his son who died for us. Amen. And that's the thing that people need to really It's remember. the center of the faith. Right. If a person has trouble grasping the Trinity, does that mean they're not a Christian? Yeah. I mean, I think the Trinity is kind of hard. And it is. Only because we've done so much talking about it do yeah. I truly think I'm getting to more yeah. understand where it came from. Well, Jackie, we had a lady from Australia write in that question. And she must see our show at our website, pastorstudy.org. But she said, you know, I'm really having trouble understanding the Trinity. Does that mean I'm not saved? And I, I responded, no, no, nobody understands the Trinity. Uh, you know, if you trust in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God, and three persons, you're saved. It never says you have to understand it because <laughs> we won't this side of heaven. Okay. So one more denomination mm -hmm. that we can talk about, the United Pentecostals. Yeah. What exactly are they? Yeah, let me... There's a big, huge uh, church here in the Twin Cities. I won't name it, but it's a, it, and people think it's a good church. It's not. It's the United Pentecostal Church, or they call them Oneness Pentecostals, and they believe only Jesus is God. And then the Father and the Spirit are temporary manifestations of Christ. They also teach you have to speak in tongues to be saved. That's a cult. I mean, Jackie, I believe in speaking in tongues. It's in the Bible. I privately speak in tongues. But that's not what saves me. What saves me is Christ on the cross, period. And so I would stay away. Again, Pentecostals are fine. Uh, they believe in the Trinity, and so does the Church of God, and so does the um, Assemblies of God. But the United Pentecostal Church, I would stay away from. Okay. So... There's also Jehovah Witnesses. Mm -hmm. I mean, they even go out door to door yes, they too do. in that, yeah. which you have to give them credit for. Yeah, they do go door to door. In fact, yeah. Jackie, they're, they're everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> they're in Europe too, yeah. So do they have other non-biblical beliefs? Yes, they do. Their main problem is they deny the deity of Christ. They deny that Jesus is the eternal Lord. That's their main problem. A secondary problem is I think they teach salvation by good works and not by grace alone. Ephesians 2 says we're saved by grace alone and not by good works. But I, I, was, I had a long discussion with a Jehovah's Witness. And I was trying to get with him and say, okay, exactly how are you saved according to the Jehovah's Witnesses? His response, you're saved by doing the work of the kingdom. And I said, okay, and what is that? And his point was, well, according to the book of Acts, you go door to door. 
So there's a reason they go to door, door to door. They're working their way into salvation, which the Bible says you can't, we're saved by grace, not by works. Now, somebody would say, well, that was that one Jehovah's Witness, that's not all of them, but do they understand we're saved by grace alone and not by good works? And the other big problem with Jehovah's Witnesses, they don't believe in eternal hell. Nobody goes to eternal hell in the Jehovah's Witness church. Well, Jesus talked about eternal punishment in, in Matthew chapter 25, so there you go. Okay. Where did the cults come from? Mm -hmm. And I guess, you know, can you explain what we should stay away from? Yeah. If the cults are, I think they're from the devil, to be honest. Let me tell you the churches to stay away from. These are non-Christian churches that say they're Christian. Christian science, kind of a new age church founded by Mary Baker Eddy. Sin doesn't really exist, according to them and sickness doesn't really exist. Well, if sin doesn't really exist, Jackie, why did Jesus die on the cross? Stay away from Christian science, the New Age movement, where they make Jesus into a guru. It's called the Unity Church. Stay away from that. Stay away from Unitarianism. Stay away from Mormonism that has thousands of gods. Um, let's see. Uh, yeah, those are the big ones. Okay, so is the doctrine of the Trinity under attack today in Christian churches? Yeah. I mean, this is but where it gets this weird. This is our own churches. Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians have always believed in the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But listen to this, Jackie. Technically, they still do. But across the street from where I live is a Methodist church. And uh, the Met I, I, I visited one morning. The pastor does the baptism in the name of the one who creates all things and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Did you notice who he got rid of? God. He got rid of God the Father. Because my guess is because he's a feminist pastor and they like to avoid calling God Father. The ELCA Lutheran hymn book takes, takes out all the masculine pronouns for God in the Psalms. The ELCA, really? yeah, the ELCA Lutheran Seminary that I graduated from had in a transgender pastor and who said, let's pray the Lord's Prayer the way you're comfortable. Our mother who art in heaven, that's an attack on the Trinity. If I was that Methodist dad, I would want to recount. I'd want that pastor to redo the baptism in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So even under, in Christian churches, they're attacking the Trinity. Okay, we only have a minute left, Tom, mm -hmm. and I really had another question, but I'll okay. save it for okay. next time. All right, yeah. Well, everybody, Jackie and I, Jackie has been doing this show. We've been doing this show for 30 years. I think you've been doing it for 25. 27. 27. <laughs> so just, uh, we want to ask you to pray for the health of all of us. We've had, our volunteers have had a lot of health attacks, and I don't know if, we're, if it's just that we're all getting old <laughs> or if, if Satan's is doing something, but pray for our ministry, pray for our people. If the Lord nudges you to support us, we'd ask you to do that. All these TV shows you can watch for free at pastorstudy.org. So you can go there and watch all of our TV shows for free, pastorstudy.org. If you pray about uh, supporting us too, we can add more TV stations and reach more people. Why don't you close it for us there, Jackie? Thanks for being with us this week. We pray that God would be with you this week, granting you his richest blessings until we're together again next time. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org or write The Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. If you've been blessed by the pastor's study, would you consider a tax-deductible gift to help us reach more people with the good news of Jesus Christ? You can donate at our website, pastorsstudy.org, two S's, or mail a check to the pastor's study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the Lord bless you and have a wonderful week.